Welcome to this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate. I'm your host, Garth Sundem, Communications Director at MAPS. And today we're talking with Joseph Zabinski, PhD, Senior Director, AI and Personalized Medicine at OM1 about artificial intelligence, specifically about how AI can accelerate diagnosis and treatment. This episode is sponsored by OM1. So first of all, Joseph, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. And so we've been hearing about AI in healthcare for a long time. And can you start by catching us up uh, with where we are now and maybe uh, how this conversation would be different if we were having it three or four, four years ago? Where are we and what has recently happened? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, AI has certainly been around for a while. You know, it's sort of like you ask people how far back it goes and you'll get a, a further back answer the older the person that you ask the question of. Okay. Um, I like to joke that, you know, I would have majored in data science if it had been a major. And I'm not that old, but it wasn't, you know, back in 2010 when I graduated uh, from college. But um, with respect to AI and healthcare, I do think quite a bit has changed just over the past three or four years. Um, I think at that time, three or four years ago, if you remember the buzzword big data, people certainly still use that. But at the time, it was really about an awareness that large data sets uh, in healthcare existed, were accessible, were sort of democratizing. It was easier and easier to observe uh, more about people's health in a scaled way. And three or four years ago, you know, the question was, what can we do with all those data um, using these AI and predictive uh, modeling machine learning tools? And I think it was, you know, worthwhile to ask those questions. Will this stuff actually work? Um, nowadays, the focus, uh, I would say, has shifted much more to we know the underlying technology works um, mm -hmm. in the technical sense. Can we actually do something with this in the real world when it has to interface with people who are not AI experts, but with the clinicians, with the patients? Um, can we get it to sort of that stage of maturity? And I think, uh, you know, the, the period we all spent or many of us spent working from home uh, during COVID accelerated this because for a lot of folks, you know, they weren't able to travel and go in the office, but they were able to sit at home and look at data sets and the conclusion from those data sets and say, there's actually something here in a business case, in a clinical case beyond just the technical aspects. Let's, let's do something with it. Oh, interesting. So are we at a tipping point between the theoretical and the practical then? Like, we yeah, it, now we're going to use it. Yes, that's a great way of putting it. I like it. The tipping point between theoretical and practical. Um, yeah, I think this time we're in right now is is well described as uh, a tipping point of that sort. Okay, cool. So we've got big data and and increasingly so. We've got tools to evaluate it, AI tools to evaluate it, and increasingly so. So, you know, we are understanding more about diseases, but patients still spend years searching for a diagnosis. So why why is that and how can AI help? Yeah, so this question of time to diagnosis is obviously one that, that's been around for as long as there have been people getting sick. Um, and I think what the promise of big data and AI have been in the realm of diagnosis has been, you know, let's let's observe these things about people and then have, you know, what we can observe tell us something about them sooner in terms of what's actually, you know, underpinning, for example, symptoms they're experiencing so they can get a correct diagnosis. I mean, I think a lot of the challenges, if you think about it, 
um, they make sense. And we've all experienced them as patients, right? You know, you, you have some symptoms, maybe you wait a few days before deciding to check in with your doctor, then you've got to get an appointment. Your doctor may ask you to get some tests or some images that takes some time. Those have to be interpreted. You might have to be, you know, uh, forwarded on to a specialist for a consult. Um, all of that just has an operational cost in terms of time. Of course, people fall through the cracks uh, along the way. You know, sometimes people, you know, may have challenges with their insurance coverage in the middle of a, a sort of a diagnostic journey that interrupts sure. the whole process. Um, and then there's just the case that, you know, this is especially true with rare disease or hard to observe disease. Um, it's just difficult for healthcare practitioners, even, you know, operating uh, at the peak of their their powers to observe things. You know, some rare diseases have average times um, between first symptoms and diagnosis of five, six, seven years, um, just because, you know, you have to see a bunch of people to narrow down the list. Um makes sense that it's nobody's first guess, um, but it, it can be very hard to get to that answer. So that's that's kind of where I think the problem comes from. Um, the, the value uh, and the benefit that AI and, and data bring in these cases is the ability to sort of step back and say at the 30,000 foot view, let's look for the smart patterning information um, yeah. that is present in patients who ended up with a certain diagnosis. Um, AI is really good at finding patterns. So you pick a group of people that you say, they all ended up at this endpoint, for example, getting diagnosed with a condition. AI, tell me what happened to them two years before they got to that diagnosis or three years or five years, whatever it is. And then help me look for those same patterns for people who are at that stage in their, in their journey who have not reached diagnosis yet, but who are much more likely to. That's kind of where the AI uh, can come in with that 30,000 foot view and then personalize down to say, this patient looks like they have that pattern. That's interesting. So finding patterns. So AI finds patterns and it is trained to find patterns by by seeing who had certain, you know, diagnoses um, and then looking back at the data to 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 be predictive. So is this happening now? Or are we using AI in the theater of diagnosis now? Yeah, we're we're getting there. I mean, it's certainly cool. true, um, kind of to the earlier point we were discussing, that there are plenty of applications of this that have been proven sort of on the computer. In terms of real-world implementation, that's the era we are entering now. And you're beginning to see this with, I would say, some of the you know, the, the diagnostic applications that are closest to the diagnosis itself, things like having AI read, you know, uh, imaging scans and saying, is this someone who should be flagged for an evaluation for, you know, lung cancer or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. um, and I think as well, you know, some of the work we're doing at OM1 is stepping further and further back in time and saying, can we notice some of the earlier, more subtle patterning um, in people who, uh, you know, maybe on the way to a diagnosis, but aren't there yet. One of my favorite examples of this is, you know, a lot of times um, you can gather useful information by looking at what physicians have ruled out. So for example, a physician might say, let's get uh, a panel uh, to test whether you're allergic to a bunch of things. The panel gets ordered. The response is that you're not allergic to any of the things tested, right? That helps rule things out. Um, for that physician. But if you look at it in this patterning way, you might say, this is kind of a common set of processes that all the people who end up with a certain diagnosis go through. They all go, you know, to the doctor, the doctor always says, get tested for allergy. Right. You know, it doesn't mean that the test is, is wrong to do, but it's one piece of evidence that the AI can help us see earlier and then say, mm, maybe there's something else going on with this person, you know, and combined with other data. 
Oh, right. Because if someone is being evaluated for, um, for a bunch of possible conditions, then you're looking at an ecosystem of possible conditions. Yeah. You know, you're, you're narrowing down what you're looking for and the AI can say, Oh, well, you know, the doctors thought it was this, the doctors thought it was that eventually they're going to get to down the line. Eventually they're going to get to this diagnosis that they haven't even considered yet. That's right. And it's exactly the eventually part of it um, where the AI is helping to accelerate it, right? I sometimes call this sort of the value of negative information. AI is good at looking at things that didn't happen or, uh, you know, results that came back negative or whatever, and putting those together to say, if we, if we press fast forward, where is this story likely to end up? That's interesting. I mean, you think about I don't know. You think about evaluating all the things that do happen, right? Oh, this person has high blood pressure. This person has a family history of XYZ. This person, you know, previously had, I don't know, pneumonia or something. Those are all the things that did happen. And you'd think those would be predictive, but the things that didn't happen can be, I don't know, equally or, or also predictive. Yeah, they can be, they can be very informative and you're putting your finger on a really important advantage of using AI in some of Mm -hmm. these, um, looking for patients who are most likely to have certain conditions. Uh, and that's the ability of the AI to weigh different factors and to come yeah. to some sort of synthesized conclusion. Cause you're absolutely right. I mean, the positive stuff is really important too. the symptoms people are experiencing, you know, family history, whatever it may be. The problem that is always faced in the healthcare system, you know, especially when you're, when you're saying let's go um, help out with diagnosis in a particular condition is where do you look, you know? Um, and it's always a question of how you weight these different factors. Uh, AI is good at patterning and it's good at weighting factors to say from a large group of people, yeah. here are sort of my composite best guesses uh, of who uh, is most likely to have the condition that we're, we're thinking about. It makes sense you know, for the doctor to take a look at them, see if that's the case. All right. So now we've diagnosed them. And uh, of course, at this stage, it's just as easy as treating them, correct? That's... <laughs> Not, not exactly the case. So not exactly. The case. Let's move yeah. over to treatment. How, sure. how can AI help predict treatments, especially maybe in the rare disease space where we're still looking around for what really works best? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a good question. And it's, it's definitely the next one in the sequence of events, right? <laughs> First step is sort of figure out what's going on with the person. And then once we know that, say, you know, figure out how to help them best in a personalized way. You know, I like to think that AI is the bridge between the insights we can see in very large data, very large patient populations, um, but sort of bridging down to the person level and saying like for most people, you know, drug A might make most sense, but for person, uh, you know, this other person, it might be drug B. Um, What the AI is doing in those cases is kind of similar conceptually to the diagnostic case, though with some differences. And, And really what we're saying is that you know, given someone who has a particular condition, you know, say rheumatoid arthritis, for example, um, are they likely uh, to benefit if they uh, begin treatment uh, with a certain medication? Um, And we can do that by by measuring uh, whether other people have benefited from that medication uh, in terms of their disease activity, for example. And then you know, using the AI to make a prediction for the individual. We can also do it in the other direction. And we can say things like, what is the risk that someone will not be able to tolerate this particular medication um, or that they'll, they'll have some sort of, you know, adverse reaction to it or that it just won't help 
um, to improve uh, the symptoms that they're experiencing or the progression of their disease. And again, these are important questions because a lot of times nowadays, the way this works, if you ask the physicians is they'll say, I know the literature, I've been practicing for a long time, I know how to treat patients. But when I reach the, the, the last branch in my sort of uh, treatment decision tree, there's still uncertainty. I know that the drug I'm considering for this person will work in eight out of 10 people. But mm -hmm. I don't know if this person in front of me is one of the eight or one of the two out of 10 for whom it won't work. The only way to find out is to start them and to see how they respond. And that's where at that point in the decision process, if the AI can help provide a little bit of additional information, that's where it's most useful. It's interesting. We've had, you know, various mechanics to ask this question of efficacy for a long time. You know, one of them was clinical trials asking, will this drug work for these people? Mm -hmm. And it's it's almost as if AI is is allowing us to ask that same question in a much more personalized way in sort of this real world, in sort of this real world population. Is is that how you say it? And also more holistically, it's not just safety and efficacy. Mm -hmm. You know, you're saying maybe we could look at um tolerance, you know, maybe we can look at a more holistic evaluation of, of will this drug work for these people is is that sort of what you see like a richer understanding in the real world absolutely you know i i think clinical trials um are designed by intent to ask very rigorous questions and to try to control away as many confounding factors mm -hmm. uh, as can be you know controlled in the interests of saying in a in a causal way, does you know use of this particular treatment have a positive effect for the patient? And that's important, obviously, to to establish that you know treatments are safe and effective. But in the real world, there's a whole lot more variability um, than can be captured in the clinical trials because those trials are trying to to mute out a lot of um, those confounding factors. Um, I think the the AI uh, and its application to real world data, those data sort of everything beyond clinical trials that we can observe about people's health in the real world, that is exactly where um, the AI can pick up on things like saying, you know, are people actually adhering to this medication, not in the rigorous process of a, a protocol driven trial, but, but, you know, in actual daily life, are they, are they more or less likely to, to take this medication or, or what are some of those other factors? Um, this can even be true at the level of how you define, you know, what a condition is or what treatment is. You know, some of the, the work that I've been most excited about this year that we've been doing um, has been in mental health around this question of treatment resistant major depressive disorder. turns yeah. out that lots of people um, with depression experience resistance to treatment. But beyond that, actually nailing down what we mean by resistance is intensely complicated, highly debated. It's not even clear, you know, that there's consensus about what that means. So figuring out sort of who we want to consider uh, as as belonging to that group um, is already a challenge. Tur turns out to be a challenge AI can help a lot with. Um, but then, you know, further saying who is most likely to experience resistance in the future is a really powerful question to ask as well, because all of these different dynamics we've just been talking about in terms of response, adherence, all these things can go into that question and to say today, when I'm considering starting this patient, you know, what are their chances of actually benefiting from this drug? At a minimum, you know, that helps the clinician be a little bit more um, vigilant about, you know, 
sort of taking earlier notice of, of failure uh, of treatment, right? doesn't mean that it'll necessarily change their behavior in every case um, mm-hmm. because the decision is always ultimately the physicians and the patients. But um, if we point out sort of there's an elevated risk here of this not working, you know, it can help inform um, correct treatment or, or, or corrected treatment sooner. So it sounds like this is, I mean, it sounds like this is the panacea or the silver bullet. And anytime you need something predicted, we should do, we should use AI and predict it. However, (laughs) are there things we should watch out for? You know, are there quick wins and straightforward applications or are there also um, conversely uh, pitfalls? What what, what should we look for and what should we look out for when we use it? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting, a topic sort of as this field matures, that's come up more and more over the past year or two, I would say, um, it, are questions of, of bias and equity with respect to AI, you know, how it's trained, how it's applied. And those are valid and important questions. Um, I think, you know, an interesting property that I've observed in my career uh, w- with sort of AI applications in healthcare is that the AI will never lie to you. Um, but it can answer your questions in ways that you didn't expect. Sort of like if you remember, you know, the genie story where you have to phrase the wish that you make very carefully, or you can end up with sort of a a pathological way uh, of getting your wish answered. That's sort of technically true, but you know, you end up dead anyway or something like that. Um, Literal. It it doesn't, it doesn't exactly that you're not being, you have to be perfectly literal in, in what you ask. Yes. And you have to be careful in how you ask the question, how you define the population that you're thinking about, how you define the endpoint that you're thinking about. And I think that, you know, um, in terms of pitfalls, some of the sloppiness that I've seen in this field has been when people either just are sloppy with sort of how they're how they're asking and then defining the parameters of these questions mm-hmm. um, or and or, you know, often the case when people sort of take the idea that that AI is, you know, the hammer and and everything is a nail. I mean, maybe AI is the panacea for everything, um, <laughs> but it but only sort of in the context where we've we've fit the tool to the problem. I think that's that's a really crucial thing. It's subtle and it takes experience to sort of know how to do that. Um, but that's that's something to watch out for in terms of, you know, the immediate um, immediate benefits of something uh, like these applications. You know. I, I really like the tipping point framework because what people are digging into now are the hard parts of, of implementation. I think for a long time, the idea was, well, if we can, you know, if we can just kind of get the, the technology working right, then all the, the okay. tedious details of like putting this in somewhere um, will, will kind of sort themselves out. Turns out that's not true. Um, but I think the the thing to go after are those instances where you've already got a setting, for example, in clinic where you've got, you know, a, a team could be a care management team, could be some sort of treatment review uh, group, or even the physician themselves who would say, if I just had this piece of information in my hand, um, I would be better off. My patients would be better off. Sort of like the example I gave before of the, the physician thinking about the medication that would work in, you know, 80% of patients. Mm-hmm. Um, they would say at that moment, if I knew uh, or if I had some guidance from from an analytic tool on if this patient was in the eighty percent or the twenty percent, that would be helpful. You know, sort of picking those specific um, locus points where where the the AI information can come in. I think that's the way to get the quickest wins. Um, it's a little bit in the weeds and and close to the ground, but that's where you know the credibility can be built from. 
Now you say credibility, and I was going to follow up on exactly that. So mm-hmm. if I'm a clinician and I have someone in front of me who's either in the 80 or the 20, and the analytic tool says that it's in the 20, am I really going to believe that and change my my, my treatment based on that? Is there yeah. still is a pitfall still the credibility when AI is brought into human systems? You know, it's it's an interesting question, and it really is something that we will need to continue to work together with clinical colleagues. And when I say we, I mean, um, uh, you know, folks who come from sort of the AI or, or, or data science branch of, of uh, this approach that, you know, we try to do this a lot at own one because we're, we're very much a healthcare company that uses these technologies yeah. to answer questions as opposed to a tech company that just decided to do healthcare, but it's hard. I mean, building credibility, particularly with clinicians, um, requires that you are super transparent. Uh, you cannot use sort of tech jargon and gobbledygook. Um, you need to be able to explain that, uh, you know, a tool can be wrong in some cases and still very useful. Um, and, you know, to your ultimate question, you know, is the physician going to change their mind? It's tough to get someone to change their mind uh, if they're sort of 100% uh, located in their belief about what they're considering. But what I've observed, um, and I think, you know, um, the clinicians would agree is that there's plenty of instances where they themselves would say, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know which, which the answer is here. Does do, you know, do I go left or do I go right? So we don't need to sort of focus on those cases, which may be rare where the AI is truly saying, you know, you strongly believe X, but it's really Y. we can just say, you know, you're, you tell us where you need the help uh, in terms of information, where, where you don't know which way to go. Um, and that's the point at which we can help. All right. So AI is becoming usable. Uh, let's use it <laughs> and exactly. let's leave it there for today. So thanks, Joseph, for joining us uh, to learn more about how your organization can partner with OM1 to use AI empowering diagnosis and treatment visit OM1.com. MAPS members, don't forget to subscribe. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate.